I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to KSL News Radio. I'm Kirk Jowers. And uh, we are thrilled to have Governor Herbert on the line. Thank you, Gov, for for joining us today. Well, thank you, Kurt. I'm happy to be here with you. And uh, the Kirk hour uh, or two or three or whatever you had today, you you have a new profession in your future. Uh, well, thanks. This is it's 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 fun that that KSL lets me uh, a guest host at times. It it brings me back to my. My my older my life of about five years ago a little bit and um, and lets me catch up with uh, some people I love and and friends and um, and you're of course one of them. We go back to at least 2005. I remember our first lunch together and um, uh, and have, have kept up a good discussion ever since. <laughs> well, it's been a good run since 2005 here in the state of Utah, and the last decade's been just. I'm very grateful for the success we've had, and that's a credit really to the people of Utah. I remember being invited back by the Pew Institute to talk about the success of Utah. I was prepared. I went back, happy to do it, and talked about all our great tax policies and regulation reform and the empower the private sector and free market uh, uh, policies that we had here. And then they talked about um, our culture of neighborliness, friendly people, talked about volunteerism, number one in the nation, charitable giving, number one in the nation. Those kind of things are a little bit harder to measure, but at the end of the day, they said, we know why you're successful. You've got these really great people that live in Utah, which is true. Uh, The success we have here is really because of the great people of Utah more than anything else we have. Well, that is true, but I I will say... uh... And and you've obviously handled a lot as first lieutenant governor and now governor since 2005. Um, but it strikes me that this year, and I even sent you a text as such a, a month or so ago, this is a tougher time to be an elected official pretty much anywhere in the world. I, I think the, the oft-used quote from Teddy Roosevelt that it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out when the strong man stumbles or – you know, and, and on and on. It's the man who's in the who's actually in the arena. Um, uh, the quote is probably more apt now than than maybe ever before. Are, are you and and our great first lady Jeanette holding up okay? Yes. Again, uh, we have uh, people that pull together. We certainly have been a, live in a society that's a lot more collaborative and cooperative than most around the country. Doesn't mean we don't have differences of opinion, and people are passionate about their opinions. Sometimes we're uh, never in doubt, but we're not always right. And uh, so, 
it's been a unique 2020. It's not what I thought my last year was going to be. It is kind of a <laughs> Groundhog Day scenario because every day it's COVID-19 24-7. And what are we doing about it? And it's certainly a complex issue. It certainly creates some uncertainty. It's disruptive to our society and about every level possible. And so 2020 will be an unforgettable year that we all hope to forget. And um, But that being said, Utah is performing as well, if not better, than any state in America today and doing the things correctly with a good, I think, optimal uh, approach. Well, and to, and to that point, I uh, it's always good to give compliments behind your back and immediately preceding you. We heard from one of the state's leading infectious diseases specialists, Dr. Osgathorpe, and he was very complimentary of the job you and your team are doing. And so that is that is someone who knows and, and uh, follows it kind of 24-7. And uh, so congratulations on, on navigating these incredibly treacherous, uncharted waters. What, what well, have you that- been proudest of in the, in the COVID response? In, in the state, I think we've response. been able to navigate uh, probably and find. We, we start out saying we, we've got to find the right balance. It can't be all one thing or all the other, and we have certainly pressures to say it's all about the health of the individuals, and we it's got to be zero risk uh, before we do anything and before we open up the economy. And others have said that the economy should be opened up, and and if you die, you die. I mean, those are the two extremes. And uh, we've said it's not one versus the other. It's really a combination of working together to find that balance point, that optimal point where we, our phrase is, we protect people's lives, but also their livelihoods. Uh, We, a few months ago, the polling would show that people were more concerned about losing their job and not having economic opportunity than they were about catching the COVID-19. So... I think we've done a really a good job uh, uh, with a very uncertain and complex issue that nobody's ever done before. I mean, nobody's had gone through this in over 100 years, and even if you count the Spanish flu of 1917. This is more severe. This is more impactful uh, on our societies, and not only here in America and Utah, but around the world. So this is really unprecedented, and I think we've done a good job of finding the appropriate balance. And I would indicate that by looking at our data points. Uh, you, we have the lowest mortality rate in America today, and um, that's at 0.8 tenths of 1%, which is, you know, more than you want to have. But, uh, again, at least on the spectrum of comparison, we're the best and the lowest when it comes to people that die from the coronavirus. And on the other side of the spectrum, on the economic side, our economy is at 5.1%. Unemployment now today uh, and that's the second lowest in the nation. And by the way, new Department of Labor statistics will come out tomorrow. And I, with all that I see going on out there, I'm predicting that it will go down. Right. It's 5.1%. I think we'll get down below 5%. Who knows? 4 point something uh, will be the Department of Labor, uh, I think, tomorrow. That's my prediction, at least. And, and we'll see what happens. But uh, we've had significant success in spite of the pandemic. So the balance we've been able to find, I think that's what I'm probably most proud about. Uh, and, and Dr. Osgathorpe mentioned, uh, you know, Utah leading the way in, in several of the things that you just mentioned as well. So you're uh, you're singing from the same page with a, uh, with a leading doctor in this area. But his biggest concern um, which I believe also is Dr. Redfield's biggest concern is 
is what is just around the corner. So all the work you've done may have just been the preseason, which is amazing to think about. <laughs> How, well, uh... you know, there's always a preseason. It doesn't matter where you start from, there's always a preseason. We had a preseason before 2020. Yeah. And we, we've prepared, we've put money in the bank. We call it a rainy day fund. Uh, we've diversified our economy. We have the most diverse economy of any state in America, which means we don't have all of our economic eggs in one basket, which allows us now to be predicted to be the, the state to come out of this downturn from this pandemic faster and quicker and better than any state in America. So we prepared before the pandemic hit. Uh, we, we don't have a lot of debt. Uh, we have cut our taxes. We have the lowest tax obligation today that we've had in 20-plus, 20 27 years, I think it is, uh, based on the Utah Foundation's report. Uh, so we were actually preparing. We didn't know it. We had a rainy day fund. We knew there was going to be a rainy day sometime. Didn't know it was going to be quite this hurricane force <laughs> rain uh, that we've had here today. But nevertheless, we prepared for that. That was the preseason. Now we're in the game plan. We have. This is also a preseason for the future. And, and, and let me stop you right there. We need to take we need to take a quick break, but um, you're gracious to come back for one more <laughs> one more segment. And the the question I'm going to ask you is is how are you? How is the state planning for the cold and flu season when tens of thousands of people on any given day may have symptoms that are consistent with COVID-19. We'll be right back here on KSL Radio. Hi, this is Kirk Jowers. I'm your guest host uh, for the next hour and excited to be with you. I am honored to be joined by our governor, Governor Gary Herbert. Thank you for staying on for another segment. Happy to be here, Kirk. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, So let's get back to the question I left you with. Things have been going well, according to experts for Utah. Comparatively, it's been tough on everyone, of course, but uh, Utah has has fared very well. Uh, But there's a big concern with the cold and flu season. Tens of thousands of people who will have symptoms consistent with COVID-19. Hospitals are often at capacity, uh, even without COVID-19, especially children's hospitals. This is coming around the corner in, say, November or so. What are we doing to to prepare for that? Well, well, the good news is we've been doing some good things in advance of the flu season and school going back into session. Uh, We've dropped the rates down. We're down to 364 on average for a week average per day. Uh, we set the goal to get down below 400 by September 1st, and so people have done a really good job of doing that. Mask wearing has become more of part of the norm than, than the exception. All those things are helping us, social distancing, uh, you know, common sense things. So we're coming to a new chapter now. And right now, we start with this new chapter, which is schools opening up. Uh, we'll have fall. We'll be gathering together more indoors. That's a deflection point that is a concern for, I think, all of us. The hospitals right now are in good shape. Uh, right now, we have only about 11% of our ICU units in the hospitals that have COVID-19 patients in. So that means there's a lot of headroom there yet. Uh, Non-ICU patients are about uh, 3%. Uh, of the overall. So we, we have headroom in ICU units. Uh, and of course, that means we need to have personnel. And, and we may have more beds than we have personnel, but we're still in pretty good shape as of today. 
and the overall bed availability, we're only utilizing uh, about 44% of all the non-ICU beds. So that means we've got 56% available. So again, headroom, we've encouraged people, if you've got medical issues, don't wait. Uh, there is ability to get treatment in the hospitals. Elective surgeries are certainly back in, in the vogue. And, and so there's an opportunity. Now, if we'll, we don't want to see a surge. Uh, there may be now. We go back to school and more people gathering together. And so that's the worry. We try to make our schools as safe as possible. There's no such thing as zero risk, but we've been able to make it, I think, so it's comfortable for teachers and students to go there and learn in our 41 different school districts, giving parents choices. If you don't feel good about it, do it online. Do homeschooling. But uh, uh, we, we are preparing for the worst, but we're hoping for the best. And uh, as part of that, more testing. We certainly have the capacity. If people need to get tested. If they feel like they've got some symptoms and a problem, go get tested. Uh, you know, about 9%, 8.9% right now, I think, is the positivity rate. Um, but we're not having as many people go get tested. And that may be a reflection that people aren't feeling sick. But that's going to be an, an issue going in. We certainly want people to get flu shots. You know, we don't want to gum up the the uh, uh, the system by having an overwhelming number of people that have flu that could have got uh, vaccinated against it and be, remain healthy. And so the combination, you know, of COVID-19 and flu could make it a little more of a difficult situation with our health care. But, uh, again, I think people understand these are kind of common sense things to do. And I expect the people will, will be common sensible about it. And we're going to go through this fall and winter and uh, still have plenty of health care opportunities for those that need it. Well, thanks. Well, I love your uh, command of, of the situation as well as the just the the data you i know you are someone who just really digs deep and um and and the statistics that you were were giving us shows that you are not only looking at the big picture but um at so many of these very important um uh, data points and uh, i also love your hope one ray of hope that i've been reading about recently is south africa um i've been reading that south africa's near total lack of a flu season this year stands out as as a rare positive effect attributed to COVID-19. The country's National Institute for Communicable Diseases has three laboratories that would normally record more than 1,000 cases of flu between April and August. Of course, that's the Southern Hemisphere, so that's their winter. Um, as the 2020 season ends, they have recorded just one. Um, and Cheryl Cohen, who leads the NICD's respiratory disease team, said it is a totally unprecedented event to not see flu. And all of the experts there say that the measures against coronavirus are what so significantly impacted flu transmission. And you did a great job of, of listing uh, so many of the things that we can do yeah. to avoid that worst case scenario. And it may uh, may actually help us uh you know, avoid all those other diseases that plague us every year uh, because of what we're doing to uh, to try to stop uh, the coronavirus. So, uh, I hope people will will listen to you and to your experts on doing that because it will impact so much more than just just COVID. I expect it cross pollinates, and so the the same things will help us 
uh, not transmit the coronavirus. And, and flu is a, is a coronavirus. The COVID-19 is a coronavirus. They're very similar cousins. And so the same things will pro- prohibit and, the, and slow down the spread for flu. Uh, and COVID-19 works both ways. I'd rather trade in the traditional flu for a COVID-19 because COVID-19 yeah. is more serious. And uh, people need to understand the science, the medicine. Uh, the death rate is probably three to seven times higher. Uh, and so uh, we have we don't know all there is to know about COVID-19, the long-term effects on the heart, lungs, uh, those kind of things that we don't really know yet. We're just learning as we go. But so everybody should take it seriously. Do what you can. Wear the mask, social distance, hygiene. Um, uh, stay home when you're sick. And if we all pull together and unite and focus, uh, we'll get through this fine. Well, thank you. For the last uh, about two minutes we have, our time goes too fast. Uh, I I did want to ask you quickly, uh, the leaders of the Utah legislature called Monday for a special session that occurred today. Uh, Did they advance the interests of the state today, or do you have some cleanup to do there? (laughs) Well, the legislature has a very significant role, 104 dedicated, committed uh, legislators, uh, both sides of the aisle come together. They have a harder time now because they can't meet uh, really together. It's harder yeah. for the public. The public can't weigh in. So special sessions have its own limitations and are, should be done very rarely as they need to. And, and uh, they feel like there's emergency needs, so they've called themselves into session. But we're Let me ask about one specific thing. They decided not to extend uh, the coronavirus emergency declaration. Uh, it would have expired at midnight. So so you you did that. Uh-huh. Um, I've announced today that we're going to, to have a new emergency declaration. Uh, uh, the 50 states, all of them have an emergency declaration. If we didn't do it, we'd be one of only uh, one of the 50 all and that uh, that is exactly my question, and you probably can't answer. But it seems a little cowardly and ill-advised for the legislature to cower for making this declaration and forcing you to do it to again make you the only man in the arena instead of having them jump down into the arena as well. Is 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 that what happened? Did they just want you to take the political heat while they benefited from all that the declaration <laughs> does for the state? I mean, it allows us to access federal coronavirus relief funds. Why would we leave that on the table? Do we well, need certainly to know funding for our National here? Guard or other things, <laughs> and why take the risk? Uh, but that's a question you need to ask them. Uh, you know, emergencies <laughs> Good ch- answer. in your shorter time frame. But our statutes do, in fact, say earthquake, fire, flood, those emergency situations, and includes epidemics. So epidemics, you know, uh, are a longer in duration. So the original statute doesn't envision it. This has been a longer period of time. It's never happened before. So we're we're plowing new ground, and it caused the legislature to say, hey, maybe the governor has these powers for too long, and maybe we need to take that away. And there's probably a lot of things going on, but that's a question you probably need to ask them. And we're having a good discussion. Again, I get along very well to speak from the president, so I, I don't uh, – this is not a thing that's causing me a lot of concern. Good. Well, uh, we appreciate your service, uh, the service of the task force and of our legislators, all of whom are are working their hardest to advance the interests of the state and and, uh, keep us going in the right direction. And and, uh, grateful to be in Utah compared to to almost any other state. Thank you, Governor, uh, for joining us. Uh, Our listeners, we will be right back uh, with Peter Watkins. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. 
Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.